Hello, Canada, and the rest of the world, and welcome to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Netflix. I'm your host, Dylan Clark Moore, and today we're going to be talking about The Guest, which is currently available on Netflix in Canada. Today's episode of the Netflix Podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. The Netflix Podcast is a proud member of the Electric Streams Podcast Network. For more insights into streaming media like Netflix, Amazon, and HBO original series, subscribe to Electric Streams Media on your podcast platform of choice. Before we get into things, I'd like to issue a couple of warnings. First, this conversation sort of contains spoilers for the guest. As well, some of the language may not be suitable for all listeners. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into it. comes a time in every man's life that he's appeared on a podcast enough times it seems weird to just call him a guest so i don't know what should we call you jason an executive guest something else yeah we could work with that or yeah all right yeah. cool well welcome once again to, we'll revisit welcome once again to jason r gray thank you it's a pleasure to be here in my in my own home having the podcast here today indeed Despite this podcast being brought to you by 121 Studios, it is not being recorded there. So uh, blame Jason if anything sounds weird. Fair enough. I'll take it. So start you off the same way as always, Jason. Is there anything interesting you've been watching on Netflix? I know you've been pretty busy lately what with uh, what with your movie coming out, but mm-hmm. uh, have you had any time to just piss around in front of the TV and watch some Netflix? Yeah, well, I rewatched with a friend. I rewatched Drive the other night because it had been quite some time, and that's a maybe another podcast to be honest because i oh we already did it though oh that's right you did never mind then but (laughs) um i'll have to listen to that one because i guess i haven't but yeah so drive i've been watching a lot of shows i've actually been going back through buffy the vampire slayer again every now and then i just get that itch and i thought oh i'll watch an episode or two and now i'm almost towards the end of season two so (laughs) it happens I, i need that show every now and then i've been feeling that itch recently i had a co-worker start watching it for the very first time yeah and so i was just like telling her all the things she had to look forward to and oh my god it's vicariously living through her watching it for the first time it's my favorite show yeah it is my favorite show it doesn't mean that it's the best show it is in some ways but it's just it's my favorite i don't know i don't know but um so yeah i've been doing that i guess mostly i've been going through old stuff i guess i've been sort of chipping away at the x-files because i never did get to finish it when it was on tv i, I was very young and i think i stopped around season f- four or five i haven't seen beyond that and Vince Gilligan, who's the creator of like what I consider to be the best show, Breaking Bad. I mean, he, he worked on X-Files back then. So I'd like to see more of his oeuvre, more of his contributions to other works. Stranger Things season two, though, I'm very much looking forward yeah, to. Yeah, that's this Friday? Yep. Well, I guess it'll be out by the time we've published this episode. But it will. It's coming up very soon. It will. Yeah. Got, got plans for that for sure. Uh, I've been watching a lot of movies recently. I've been trying to make a point of just watching movies. Good. Um, which I, I like to joke is my shortcoming as a as a critic or film podcaster. It's not necessarily cream of the crop stuff, but 
I watched Doctor Strange on Netflix. I thought that was fun. Nice. I kind of regret having seen it now on a small screen that I didn't watch it on a big screen because I literally watched it on my phone. Yeah. So with some of the visuals that are in that, there's that's an experience that was Dave, missed for sure. David Lynch would hate you for saying. Did you watch it on your phone or just it seemed comparatively? No, speaking? I literally watched it on my phone. Yeah, David yeah. Lynch would not be happy with that. Well, but uh, I don't know if you ever saw his iPhone condemnation, like if, the idea of watching a movie on your phone. Yeah, I had a. I have to go back to the Jaws episode when. Jeremy Hobbs did his impression of David Lynch complaining about people watching movies on their fucking telephones. Yeah, his impressions are unreal. And he will call them up immediately, even if you throw something at him to do this guy that you've never done before. There it is. He's like a parrot. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually, since we're, he's, he's been brought up. Every, almost every film that I've done on the Netflix podcast has been either like in, introduced or just highly recommended to me by that guy you know upstream color was not him that was all me but like <laughs> under under the skin he got there first you know the guest i didn't know what this film was i didn't know i'd never heard of it other than he he heard that i was listening to this band clan of zymox one of my favorite bands ever and uh, but we'll get in we, we'll get into that well we're into it so here it goes anyway and i said i get listening to it and he was like wow is that the guest soundtrack i'm like what's the guest and they said this movie has a lot of music from this band in it i'm like what nobody's heard of this band but me i have to see this film and so that's where that started but we'll get into that after yeah i think he did like half of our jaws podcast doing <laughs> a uh doing a quint impression oh it, was, my God. it was amazing yeah um, and I appreciate that you're giving me all these opportunities to plug past episodes. It's my favorite. Well, yeah. So like, again, it follows Jeremy Hobbs, you know, pointed me in the direction, the direction of that as well. Um, I've also watched the first couple episodes of the, of planet earth two, which mm. I was thrilled to see is on Netflix now. Mm. Um, and then, I mean, it's October, so you got to watch a bunch of horror movies. Yeah. So I've just been letting Netflix choose for me and just been whatever. I just went into the horror category, whatever it said at the top of recommended for you. So that's led me to watch cult of Chucky, which mm -hmm. was terrible. Mm. Um, like irredeemably. So I, I would say, I imagine, um, I watched scream four, which mm -hmm. I hadn't heard great things about and I had fun watching. I got a little bit on the nose with how meta it was yeah. and that it kept calling itself meta, which I guess is the new the meta? final step <laughs> of being meta is I calling guess. yourself meta. Um, and then the pleasant surprise was the babysitter. That was a lot of fun. Hmm. It's, I saw uh, it posted up there, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like the kind of shitty Netflix original movie that you never think about. And mm. I mean, in some ways it is, but it was... It was using like the horror genre as a playground to just kind of do whatever they wanted to do, right? Without really seeming like they're trying to say too much. It's just it's it's a fun watch, and instead of having like a group of survivors that slowly get chipped away at, you have the the one survivor kid who just happens to be defeating this group of teenage cultists who are out to get him. That's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm down with the idea of just some fun stuff right now. It's been a pretty heavy time, I've, you know, releasing a pretty heavy film. And I loved watching The Guest last night because, again, this is one of those things that you, people are surprised. We're just like, because I don't usually push like B-movies or things like that, right? But I don't, I mean, for me, The Guest is an A-made B-movie. And so I would watch The Babysitter. I, I would check that out. I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if it was accidental or just chosen to do this in Halloween when you invited me in because the guest, you know, 
takes place at Halloween and makes a lot of nods to the film Halloween. So it's kind of also quite apropos that it's coming up in a few days. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, our Netflix viewing habits aside, the movie that we're here to talk about this episode is from the year 2014 uh, from director Adam Wingard. We're going to be talking about The Guest, as you've heard us mention a couple of times already. Mm-hmm. So, as always, we're going to look at the way that Netflix describes this movie. First of all, when you hover over it, Netflix says, He promised to take care of his dead buddy's family. By the time they opened the door, it was already too late. Uh, Yeah. And Mitch, you know, my friend Mitch described the guest when we watched it together. He said if he cut a trailer to it, the music would be Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. (laughs) Because it's pretty much how he comes into the lives of these people. Then when you click on the title, the description changes to a stranger claiming to be the close friend of a recently deceased soldier invites acceptance and doubt from the dead man's family, which is clumsily worded and I don't like it. They should have just gone with, he's here to help, but that's why they don't let me do these things because I'm that vague about stuff. I can see that as like a tagline on it is a the ta- It is actually the actual tagline. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Fair I enough. take credit for that. All right, the genres it belongs to, according to Netflix, are thrillers, independent thrillers, psychological thrillers, and independent movies, and it's described as suspenseful and violent. Mm-hmm. So, Jason, why The Guest? Why is this the movie that you brought to the table? Normally, your your movies are a little more highfalutin, uh-huh. a little more high-minded. A little so, more uh, challenging. So, uh, so yeah. why The Guest? Well, The Guest has this special place for me that... It's kind of rare for a movie to have where it's just, um, I, when I saw it, the first time I saw it, I watched it with, with Jeremy Hobbs, and I said to him when it was over, I said, you know, I'm not sure that this is a great film, but I love it so much. And, and in the coming weeks, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And when I revisited it, I was like, you know what, this is a great film. And um, I don't know, like, I don't, uh, I, I can't quite describe what happens to me when I'm watching it, but I'm just so completely happy while i watch it and just it's funny but it, it, it's funny in like not a, necessarily a silly campy way it's just it's so strange that it exists like why would someone make this particular film like this particular way and uh, it's so well made i mean it's so slick it's you know it's beautifully shot um and cut i mean on, on all fronts like I, the music is so perfect I don't know. And it just it just keeps growing like uh, in my mind. I mean, I bought it on Blu-ray at Giant Tiger for five bucks. Jeremy hit it under some stuff for me so I could get there and get it. And um, when it came up on Netflix, it was a no brainer. I have lots to say about this movie and and I'd love to say it to you and your audience. (laughs) All right. Well, I had never heard of it. From the director of Your Next, and that's also why you popped into my mind too, because you had already done him on, on yes. Your Next. Yep. Right. So I had never heard of this movie before. Mm-hmm. I knew of Dan Stevens from Beauty and the Beast. I've never seen Downton Abbey. Um, I was excited at first because when you first brought this to me, I was like, "Oh, great!" On Wingard, the director of Your Next, which I liked a yeah. lot yeah. from when I discussed it with uh, with Tom Stewart a few mm-hmm. episodes back. Yep. Um, but then I saw Death Note. And I was like, okay, Adam Wingard can make some utter trash. I've heard it's terrible because I was tem- I was on the fence to watch it, but yeah, I don't it's, know. Yeah, it's indefensively bad. Oh, wow. So that really lowered my expectations for the guest. Yeah. And I was still kind of underwhelmed by it. Like yep. I was on board for like the first two acts, but then by the time act three rolled around and it became this uh, 
slasher right. sort of movie. It just yeah. it lost me. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I'm curious to see if you can get me back on board for it. Okay. Well, I'm up to the challenge. All right. It's <laughs> confidence. He's not yeah. blinking. He's not. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I mean, I'll I'll start off with something that I did like. I mean, I had watched the trailer beforehand because mm-hmm. um, I was trying to see if my wife wanted to watch it with me so i showed her the trailer um so i had the gist of what to expect in that it was this guy who returns home from wars the friend of a fallen soldier and i mean gold star families are very much in the zeitgeist right now what with donald trump's handling of certain phone calls and i i like i said i started off really on board for the movie i liked that uh, the way they did the the morning routine thing over oh, the where the father and son of the yeah. family they go off to school and then the mom's left behind and she's all all grim and i liked that it looked like nighttime even though they were going through this morning routine yeah like the way that it was lit it felt like this nighttime scene that really got me in the mindset of this family's life is turned all upside down day is night everything's wrong they're really looking for this stabilizing influence to come in yep then dan stevens shows up or david i guess his name is yep. in the movie yep he shows up all hunky and glistening yep. and charming, and he's just perfect. He's the the perfect specimen of man. Shows up. And he on ran the all the way there. <laughs> he ran there without breaking a sweat. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, like I said, I was on board for it. I bought mm-hmm. into the whole super soldier vibe that he was bringing. Yep. I was curious about what he was doing, where he was coming from. But I think when the movie started offering answers, I just found them to be not satisfying well i i hear you on that for sure i mean i'm not a huge exposition guy again though this um this these moments of exposition were sort of a direct callback to halloween you know um dr loomis you know replaced here by lance reddick i can't remember his character's name but like when he's explaining to her about the experiment of david and, and all this stuff i mean it could have worked just as well as a movie without that. Um, it doesn't. It, it's insane what happens, um, but at the same time, like that that last act for me, it's like the film's now fully transitioning into what it's been alluding to throughout. That it's it's an homage to these horror films in in the way that they were made, but not so much a horror film. Like it's never scary. It's never trying to be scary. And I just like that it doesn't take itself too seriously either. It 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 strikes a nice balance, and the acting the the actors are treating it as well. Like this is a this is a serious film, you know, which it is. Like the mother is so empathetic. I mean, that beautiful that heartbreaking moment where she excuses herself at the conversations beginning to go in and you know muffle her cries with the washing machine, when you know the guest reveals to her that you know he knew her son and was with him when he died. And Micah Monroe, who was also in It Follows, um, this was like made before It Follows, but and I saw it before It Follows. You know, she's the one who's skeptical from the outset. And I feel like if the film's from anyone's point of view, it's from her point of view. You know, dare we say that the final girl, right? But I like that the music is all her mix that she made as well. Well, I mean, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the the exposition or where they chose to do it, where they chose to not, because I feel like, tell me where the, where that line was, where I the feel film like, started to lose you. I feel like either less or more yeah. would have been better. Yeah. Because at 40 minutes, that's when you all of a sudden cut to the military intelligence meeting where you mm-hmm. find out that this is all, there's something sinister going on or there's something right. 
there's something official and military going on. There's some kind of experiment that's gone wrong or some kind of mission that's gone wrong. And it really like opens up the world in this big way that in that moment, I felt like it was going to be like a cabin in the woods sort of thing where you step back and you realize that this smaller story is actually part of a much bigger story. But then it doesn't, it doesn't keep doing that. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't get any more answers beyond that except for, well, there was an experiment and you don't really know what to expect. Mm Mm-hmm. And I get, you know, that kind of leaves you open to fill in the gaps yourself about, like, is he supernaturally strong? Is he, is it just, like, a little bit of psychological conditioning? Like, what's the actual story here? Like, you, and not knowing makes it a bit more, can mm-hmm. make it a bit more thrilling, a bit more exciting. But the way they, the way that that change happened at 40 minutes, it really seemed like they were going to be offering you a lot more. Right. So then when the, the, the big gunfight starts and the third act opens up and it, you know, he, he has his turn where all of a sudden he's in self-preservation mode and he's, you know, he, he has to abandon his original mission to protect that family. You don't really get that. And I didn't, I didn't get any of that, that mystery back or that curiosity back until, you know, the final second or two of the movie where they just kind of like poke at you that, Hey, we didn't answer your questions. Well, once the movie gets to that point where it's now in its end game, I mean, that's sort of like par for the course on some level for the slasher genre in general, which is like, well, the questions have all been asked, at least that the film intends to ask. And now it's just, you know, carnage or whatever. And usually that's the point where a film like this loses me too. For some reason, the guest, it doesn't happen with the guest because I, I think because the guest, it doesn't put on any airs about what it is. It doesn't have like... It's just a really, I, I think, exquisitely made, you know, it's a B movie, but I don't know. It's when, when someone's doing it so well, there's a, this feeling of like exhilaration of just sort of reckless abandon. Like, I don't know where this film's going to go. Like, it's really, you know, you can't really call where it's going to go until that point where it drops down the gauntlet of, of, of what it is, what it's doing. I mean, it, there's a lot of you know forecasting i mean the opening alone a guy running panting we don't see his face and then smash cut through the guest with like this creepy musical tone and um it, it feels like something from a horror movie and the, the constant use of gongs every time oh it my shows god me the my, my favorite moment my single favorite moment in the film that makes me laugh so hard because the film is committed so hard to like the idea that this guy is not right and it's it's clearly with tongue in cheek that when she lays down in her bed to uh, start playtesting her mix that she's making for him, and the music start the she turns her bedroom light out, and then the camera is now outside the house, pans to his bedroom window, which is next to hers, and he's just sitting there staring straight ahead as cold as possible. Who knows what's happening right now? He's not blinking. I don't even know if he's breathing. And the camera just keeps pulling into his face, pulling in, and then it smash cuts again. It kills me. That that moment just kills me. And I'm, I'm ready to go wherever this movie is going to take me at that point. Well, that was the part. That was a part where I felt like, I don't know, like the movie was trying to get something over on me. Yeah, we get it. It's a bad guy. We get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> where, where I was like, okay, you've already teased the staring face out the window yeah. thing twice. And now yeah. you're doing it a third time. And I'm just like, you've already done this and yeah. you're not doing anything with it. And yeah. they don't until until a bit later. Yeah. I think that part of it, too, is when it does, like you said, when they do commit yeah. to, um, to, to doing what it's going to do. I just found the, the final scene which is apparently just something I do on this podcast is just talking about the middle mm-hmm. or talking about the end at the beginning of the conversation. But like ending it at a high school dance was just so like, 
I don't know, just so like low stakes, especially after blowing up. Like nobody's cared about this dance before. It's not like Carrie, where like the yeah. whole movie is building up to but this, it this prom. Them, it allowed them to have a haunted house maze. Which the Hall of Mirrors, pretty much fitting for a film about a guy changes faces, you know, uh, spoiler alert, but you should be watching the guest if you haven't before you listen to this anyway. Yeah, it just, I don't, it just, when it became a slasher movie, it just became such an obvious slasher movie yep. that I didn't care anymore yeah. Was, yeah. was my problem. And then, you know, there were little things that kept me off the rails, like how bad the effect looked when they were kicking the mist away. You know, just, just maybe I was just getting nitpicky and mm. shitty by that point, but yeah, it just, yeah, I found, I found that that last scene, especially where it was just, you could count the beats of like, yep. here's what's coming next. Here's what's going to happen. And it just became so by the book that yeah. I don't know, like what's, what's the point? I'm not saying what's the point of homage, but like, you know, at what point should you be doing something with your reference mm -hmm. rather than just saying i know horror movies well enough to make one by the book right um it's a good it, it's a good point i mean there's there's something about the way i guess with the way that the film is executed and this idea of sort of like yeah once the guns start ablazing like that element of surprise that made the film so charming in the first two acts is not is not there anymore um he does cross the line with the mother where it's like well no, well, we can no longer look at this guy as, you know, an interesting per se. Like this is like the end game, or you know, if we haven't been, if he hasn't lost us at that by then, that's the point. Like when I watched it with Mitch, he, when that happened, he's like, okay, I know now. It's it, it was it was not clear before who was like the true bad guy, but it's pretty clear now. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. Um, with the guest, there's like like I said, there's this mysterious sort of hold that it has over me, and I, I love the the um, the romantic the romantic feel to it, where clearly there's a love of '80s sort of pop movies there with all of the '80s inspired music and legitimately music from the '80s that this girl is listening to, and um, I don't know, it just it never felt like me to me like it was crossing into retro grounds just because. It still seems to have this weird sense of, uh, like I said, reckless abandon that a lot of the movies of the 80s of the period had. And that feeling, the preservation of that feeling, I think is the most important uh, element to take away in terms of whether or not he's mimicking or not. You can mimic the look and sound of things, but there's something about the feeling. It doesn't feel like a modern movie, even though it takes place present day. It doesn't feel like it. Like the feeling of how those movies were, where it just... There was that um, that feeling, that thrill, I guess, of letting yourself go. I don't know where this movie's going. It's often ridiculous, but not be, not a, not because of a failure of the filmmakers. It's clearly a willful intention to let certain things be this way. Right, and that's that's what I think I lost was that the trajectory became really clear once you get to that third yeah. act. And then the other thing was like the you, you mentioned the feeling. Um, and maybe this isn't quite the same thing, but I mean, to look at the thing, it didn't feel like an eighties movie to me. Mm -hmm. It felt like I was watching a pretty common way that filmmakers now will do a retro sort of thing mm -hmm. with like lighting things with primary colors right. from beneath. Lots like it's, of pink. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed kind of like Refini, right? Like the way that mm -hmm. it was lit and, but it, 
Which I'm cool with too. <laughs> right, but it didn't seem like it was to serve any any purpose. It was just because, mm-hmm. well, I think this will look cool, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. That, that's also some of what I'm talking about because there's something about that which normally would just would irk me. Why Why does the guest, maybe this is what the, the purpose for me is today, how, how to get to the bottom of why does the guest do to me what it does? Well, and I'm not trying to take anything away no, from you. No, like, you can't. I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get one over. I'm trying to see yeah. it through your eyes. Yeah, no, you, you can't. I, I mean, I'm, I would be tempted to watch it again tonight after our talk, to be honest. I don't know. The... Um, I read, you know, there's a featurette on the Blu-ray where um, uh, Dan Stevens is talking about working with Adam Wingard. And he said that the interesting thing was the music dictated everything. He would, Adam would be on set and he's like, okay, with his iPhone. And he said, this is the song that's going to be playing for this scene. This is how I'm going to cut it because he cut the film himself too. And this is how it's going to play out. Just so you know, it's all going to be based on these musical notes of the chorus, lyric, chorus, lyric. And that that was kind of the way he was approaching the film, which is like, like a pop song where all the beats that we're used to seeing are going to be there, but how we're going to get to them from, you know, connect to them will be a little bit different. And um, again, when I watch the film, I just, I still ask myself every time I watch it, why does this exist? Like, why would someone do this? Like I, and I remember saying to Jeremy, I don't think that this director will ever again do something of this caliber. And so far it's starting to look that way, even though um, your next was, was great and it came first. Um, and actually, there's a cameo of the your, ma- your next masks at the Halloween party in the guest as well. Um, a couple of people walk in wearing them, but um, I don't know what it is about the guest. But honestly, some of my favorite films, like my very favorite film of all time, The Double Life of Ronnie, I cannot tell you why. And that's part of I think the beauty is that I don't know. And like I said, my first reaction to the guest was I don't know if this is a is if this is a, a great film. But I can't stop thinking about it. And I couldn't ignore that. And when I would revisit it, it just, I don't know, it, it grows, you know, in uh, in splendor every time I watch it. If you are going to rewatch it soon, <laughs> and, uh, then I would, I would also encourage you to look for how the performances change in the third act. Because mm-hmm. I think that things tip further into melodrama mm-hmm. than they should. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm thinking when David kind of aw shucks his way into blowing up the diner mm-hmm. when this like romantic music swells up as he throws two grenades oh, yeah. underhanded i'm not a fan of that moment um like, like the look on his face too when he tosses them like when oh, he, well he, yeah he kind of like chuckles to himself like yeah. well here's another one and then like lance is it lance riddick or reddick yep which one reddick when uh when lance reddick is in the in the, like in the fun house at the end like he's doing seemingly a parody of donald pleasant's in mm-hmm. Halloween like mm-hmm. it's just it's it's overwrought yep. in a way that if you'd held it back agreed or done that tone throughout the whole movie we we wouldn't be having this conversation but yep. instead it stands out and I think like Micah Monroe is a bit more like straight all yep. the way through even she I mean I don't blame her for being upset but I mean her like teary conversation uh, with her brother at the end seems a little hammy, but I'll, I'm also not going to criticize how somebody's going to act yeah. in a life or death situation. She grounds the film really well. Um, and I don't think it would be nearly the film that it is without her. Um, she was a big, you know, high point in the film for me. The thing is, probably every qualm that you have throughout, I will agree with, you know, which is, again, a testament to, like, the power over me that this film has. Where I, just, <laughs> I feel like those, those qualms are also innate to it, right? 
I mean, are part of it. Like when it does transition, and yeah, we're clearly watching, you know, a B movie here. You know, Lance Reddick. I don't know if he, you know, knows what to do with this particular material at certain points. <laughs> and um, I think he, he probably walked away from it like, what the fuck was I? Why did I, What did I just sign up for? But um, I love the way that Dan Stephen just throws himself into it with such, you know, such glee. I mean, there's a sense of strange sort of sense of, of fun that you know he's having where it just um i don't know it, it's it's just so odd but the family dynamic and i like that a lot of films you know in the third when they horror films hit the third act they abandon the things that were the foundation of the first two which is why you just lose interest because the stakes as you were mentioned were typically lowered but i like that the family dynamic is kept right through i mean it's very close to the end of the film that D dan stevens the guest goes into the school with the mom to talk to the principal about the the quote-unquote hate crime levied against her son and um, the way he handles that scene he's still so in control he takes it all over like he fixes it he was here to help that day and he helped and that's like really close most horror films at that point are already into the end game of like body counts rising and this is like 15 minutes before the end of the movie and we have like that conversation at, in the kitchen with the family where Micah Monroe, where she confesses that she's still seeing the same guy and she calls her dad out on, on his, you know, on his, his shortcomings. And meanwhile, while Dan Stevens is explaining, I could call him David, since that's his character, um, when he, while he's explaining why, his, why the, um, he hasn't been fully honest about himself, he's doing this while handling a knife, just like flipping it around on his fingers. Right. Like there's so many little things like that throughout, like, for the times when the film lacks subtlety, there is so much throughout the film that is quite subtle. And I like the balance. The balance isn't always maintained, but I like that, you know, you get those hard cuts and then you just get this, this really soft stuff of the people interacting. And again, there's nothing else like it in his body of work so far. Certainly not what he's followed it with, like the Blair Witch, et cetera, and stuff. Uh, did you see the new Blair Witch? I did, yeah. And... I thought it was real. I mean, this was about the best made Blair Witch movie possible, and it it was scary. I found the last thirty minutes was really suffocating, and I I just needed to get out of that theater. Like it was really hard to watch because you're in there having their experience. I just kind of wish that the people who did the guest did something that wasn't a sequel instead. Um, but I mean, it, it the, the guy knows how to direct horror. There's no question. It's just interesting that that was the follow-up to the guest. Unexpected that was. <laughs> and then Death Note. Yeah. Um, I'm still curious to watch it, but I've, the IMDb rating is just like putrefyingly bad. What is it? Do you... Well, it's just like if you scroll through user comments, it's just like this is the lowest point in my film watching you know, uh, <laughs> experience. And all these things, it's like I felt so guilty like after watching this. Yeah, so. it's it's... I mean, I, I made a list on Letterboxd recently of the movies from 2017 that I've seen, and yeah. Death Note is easily at the bottom. And that's wow. having seen, like, the new Smurfs movie yeah. and, and Cult of Chucky. Yeah. Like, it's it's not a contest for which one's the worst. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I imagine that you're chomping at the bit to talk about the music. Sure. Um, I mean, you mentioned a band that I'd never heard of. Yes. So Let's talk about Clan <laughs> of Zymox. Please do. Um, so Clan of Zymox has been one of my favorite bands for a very long time. They're from the Netherlands and they basically they have two albums that were really, you know, I think looking back on the 80s sort of and I, I only discovered them like, I don't know, a day, 
15 years ago, I guess, on CHRW, when I, of course, CHRW. And um, I just fell in love with, with this music, and I'm a really big fan of, like, dark wave, you know, music in general. Very New Order-y, inspired, Joy Division, but, um, but different, very romantic. And so their best album, Medusa, is, you know, heavily featured in The Guest. And that just really, I'm like, okay, this filmmaker knows something. Like, how did he hear Clan of Zymax? It's not like nobody's heard of them. They're, they have quite a devout following. They're very well respected. It's just that nobody here has heard of them, right? A band from Amsterdam from the 80s. And um, so anyway, not only is that music in the film, it's discussed, right? Like when they're driving home, when he drives her home from the party, the song that's playing is called, perfectly enough, named Masquerade. You know, which again, another, you know, uh, nod to what's going on in the film. And the lyrics of the song are all about wearing masks. And, um, and of course, slasher movies from the 80s are all about killers with masks, right? This guy's got a mask. It's just a different kind of mask than we've seen before. And um, so the music's beautiful, and he comments on it. And he's, he's like, yeah, I really like this. And she, she's, like, baffled because this big manly man, what's he doing listening to, like, 80s romantic synth pop? And um, so that's when he asks her, you know, she says, I can make a mix for you, you know, and... Um, and so the fact that that's not the only Clan of Zymok song, that there are two others, the final one being at the very end, which is from their first album, and the song's called Cry in the Wind. And again, that's a, a, another telling layer. I guess that was just a different doorway I had into the film at first. But that was my workout. That album was my workout jam for like months before I ever saw the film. It was so steeped. Sorry, the soundtrack to the guests with Jeremy. Jeremy Hobbs made me his own mix if you will of the soundtrack and he even wrote on the you know on the disc you know, for david <laughs> and so you know, it's great and um so that that happened just put the movie that much more on my radar right and um so watching it it just like i said my first viewing of the film like i i i can't connect to that viewing anymore because subsequent viewings have elevated the film so much for me but I can I'm, I totally know where your head is at with your initial response too because I think it was at the same place but I was still I was confused because of my love for it even though I was like <laughs> I don't know if this is great and it's not like me to just love something you know quickly that I know it's just it's not it's certainly not at the, at the level of film that I typically watch but it's made it, it's interesting the interesting thing is it's made at the level of like a really you know, a film with higher aspirations. And I found that fascinating because B-movies are usually, yep, we don't have a lot of money because we're just going to do this. But it's so polished. It's so carefully paced. You know, like all of these these sort of slow tracking shots down the hospital hallways. Little things like that are hard, you know, for me not to notice and sort of appreciate. And uh, so when it does go off the rails, it kind of feels like, there's that grounding that's somehow still there. If it could only have maintained a subtle, a bit of that grounding towards the end, like, you know, when he, he goes so over the top, right? Like once he gets to the school, he decides, I'm going to show that I'm going to gloss this up a little bit. I'm going to put the CD on the loudspeakers and I'm going to do, I'm going to create this chase for them. Like it just seems a little overwrought. Like there's so much planning going into it now from a guy who's who's, obviously just programmed at some point to just freak out. Yeah, it's not even that it's... 
I'd be fine with him planning it. Like, I'd be fine with him setting traps or, like, doing things that militarily would make sense. But, she was so nice to him, but, ultimately, too. Like, why is he doing this? Well, yeah, but, uh, yeah, well, and, I mean, the the whole thing with his character, and this is probably what frustrates me so much, is that the whole thing with his character is that he has the ability to be ridiculously charming yeah. and lustworthy and and all of these really attractive, desirable traits mm-hmm. until it seems like, you know, the mask comes off yep. and he's shooting people in the face and yep. you're seeing who he actually is. But then, like, you you kind of implied, he becomes this third person at the end who isn't cold and calculating. Yep. He's not putting on airs about being charming. He's relishing in the experience. Yeah, he's becoming this, like, poetic serial murderer. Yeah. And it's just like, where did this come from? Like, yeah. this, this isn't earned. Yeah. Like, it, 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 when you're... Watching him be... Well, that's where it reveals its B-movie status, some of those things. Yeah. yeah, when you're watching him be cold and methodical and murderous for necessity, or just because that's what he's programmed to do, you can appreciate it for that. Yeah. When he's doing it for... Or when he's being charming, you can obviously appreciate it because it's super charming to watch Dan Stevens do this and yeah. to be this this southern gentleman fellow. But then, yeah, he just becomes this entirely different person that isn't even a blend of both. Like, it's just like... Yeah. Yeah, he's just from a different movie. And it's not the movie that I had been enjoying until that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the tablecloth being pulled off the table. Not all of the glasses stay on, you know, when it comes off in this film. I'm saying it's a table in a different restaurant, though. <laughs> it, it is, it is. And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. It's just that for me, I guess it's not enough to unravel like the the joyous trip to get there. It's just, um, it's funny, you know, I'm probably going to be called out and describing this path to to uh, oblivion as a joyous path. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I love the movie unabashedly in, in both in spite of and because of its often rampant silliness. But because, again, for me, there's that deep affection for for the for this genre and um and just kind of how ridiculous it is. And oftentimes the films, like the film is sort of commenting on that to some, to some respect, sometimes overly slavish to it as well. But when I look at, again, this is why I say, I don't think, I don't expect Adam Wingard to top the guest. That doesn't mean he won't necessarily make better movies with higher aims, but it's not looking good considering Death Note <laughs> is his most recent film. But yeah, so I, I'm curious, it doesn't really matter if he does because he made the guest. You know what I mean? And that's, for me, For clearly he's shooting for a certain type of film. I don't know if there's too much higher to go if he's sticking at that that level of B-movie. I mean, there is absolutely something to be said for doing something to a high degree of skill. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if this deserved to be done to a high degree Fair of enough. skill. Fair enough. Um, like, if you have the skills, then it's part of your responsibility to apply them in the right place. Well, I think, you know, I don't think he has his aim set really much higher than than being a really good genre filmmaker or he so he still has not claimed that title based on his current output post the guests but i mean your next is, is a very well respected horror film um the guest isn't isn't a horror film as much as it is you know um potentially an action thriller it's a lot of different things and it never quite gives over to any one of them until that last act, which I well, think is where like, it lost you. Mm-hmm. I mean, your next is a home invasion movie yeah. that does something with it. Yes, the it absolutely does. is a different movie that becomes 
a more conventional genre. Like it's like the yeah. opposite of your next. It's mm-hmm. moving backwards from your next where yeah. it just, it puts itself into a box Right. that it had done a really great job of not being in, mm-hmm. in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's a lovable movie. Not necessarily fully by you, but you never know. <laughs> you never know, man. You might watch it at some point down the line. Like, all right, Jason are great. I'm going to check this out one more time. And then you're going to, you know, call me at like one in the morning and be like, Oh, I see it now. I saw it. I saw the film you saw. Like I said, I fully, there is absolutely the possibility that I am wrong and I'm just not seeing what everybody else is seeing. And in looking at scores, for instance, like IMDb isn't terribly kind to this movie. Rotten Tomatoes is kind of wishy-washy, but like Letterboxd, or I guess, no, Rotten Tomatoes, we just saw is 89% and it's certified fresh. Look at the first comment on the IMDb comments thread for the guests. Just the headline alone. One of the most stylish and fun thrillers of the decade. I think, again, the operative word there is fun, where it's just, um, the, the, it's apropos that the last scene takes place in a haunted house, fabricated haunted house in a high school. Because the whole movie kind of feels like, uh, you know, you're in a fabricated haunted house. There's at no point when you're watching this film that you don't feel like you're watching a movie, you know, a very expertly made movie. Like, the the call-outs are, are very in-your-face. There's, there's zero subtlety in the film. Um, <laughs> you know, he's running at the beginning, smash cut to a title screen that could only be the title to a horror film. Like, the sound cue, like, boom, you know, like... And then, um, then we're in the house, and we're in, the, you know, we're in the safe place now. And um, the movie moves really quickly. It wastes no time setting things up and getting from A to B to C to D. Again, these aren't movies I typically would seek out. Maybe that's part of why it thrilled me so much because it, it, it swept me off my feet in a way that this kind of movie can't do. can't do that to me. And um, it just, I don't know. I like that it exists. I like that I can see it <laughs> on my shelf. I leave it facing outward on my shelf so I'll occasionally just see it as I walk by oh the, oh, the guest it just makes me smile <laughs> it makes you happy to know it's there I guess I'm a weird guy but you know I've so I've been told on multiple occasions but uh, <laughs> I don't know it just uh it just makes me smile and I mean at the end of the day sometimes that's more than enough of a move to ask of a movie this particular one makes me smile um I don't feel like I'm watching trash when I watch it. It's not like a, it's not a poorly made movie. It's clearly made with such love. Um, does it ultimately give in to its urges to just be this genre film? Yes, it does. But I mean, I don't know. It takes me on such a labyrinth to get there that by the time we get there, it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to sit back and watch the fireworks, mm-hmm. you know, the, the neon lights, the 80s pop music. And, you know, the dry ice, all of the hallmarks of a final end game in a horror movie. Pumpkins. Pumpkins everywhere. Pumpkins are like one of my favorite cinematic signposts. I don't know why Halloween's so cool to me because I don't really celebrate it per se. But I don't know. It's an interesting season. The the mood of like our world changes so significantly. So it kind of seems like you acknowledge that you're kind of settling with this movie without slumming. No, like it's <laughs> well, I don't feel like I'm settling. Like I, I, I have not at any point, I don't think, indicated that this is a guilty pleasure for me. Um, it's a pleasure. It, like I do love this movie. I, I and that the the strength of the love can only be fairly further illustrated by my complete awareness of where it drops the ball, and that I honestly think in this some instances that dropping the ball is sort of part of the experience. Where it's it's not like a fundamental drop. It's not like they just forgot what they were doing it's clearly been the intention since the outset and um 
the fact that it's so distinct from the rest of his work is also interesting. I mean, I like that he hasn't, how do you do something like this again? Because, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange movie. I mean, <laughs> all of the films that I've done, uh, you know, with the exception of, you know, when we did The Force Awakens, are strange, you know, would be considered very strange films. Like, from my first one I did, Upstream Color, now we're at The Guest. We've come a complete 180 in terms of <laughs> the color of the strangeness. But just thinking about the poster right now, it makes me kind of want to chuckle. I don't know. Like, there's so many different posters, but they all just fill me with glee. And my friend, uh, Megan Brown, um, do you, you know Megan? She's I don't a, think so. She's a stage actor here in town. When we, because um, we're planning on working on something together in the future. But when we, when I brought up the guest, I said to her, I said, have you ever seen the guest? Why? Because we talk about movies almost exclusively. And she just slapped her hands down on the table and she said, the guest. And like me, she, she it would surprise you like, oh, she likes this kind of film because she's got very highbrow tastes too. But she also has like this huge crush on B-horror movies, bigger than I have. But I like a good one when it happens. Like It Follows is another good example of a really well-made, you know, what technically B-movie, right? But um, so I put the guest, it's not up on It Follows level, but it fills me with a type of glee that It Follows certainly does not. But now I'm kind of tempted to rewatch It Follows again. <laughs> but yeah, no, I stand 100% by my uh, my my uh, approval and, and and thumbs up of this film. And at the same time, I can be fully aware of like, it's not going to be for everyone. Some people are just going to say this is cheesy, terrible. But um, and I was one of the, I, I never thought it was terrible. But I, I knew after that first screen, like, I don't think it's a great film. But what is it about it that I can't stop? I've watched it many times. And it hasn't fallen apart on any of those viewings. I sit back with a smile as it begins, and I know, like, I'm going to go on a ride. Do do I sort of trail off, sort of similar to where you do? Yeah, because the narrative thrust ends when the, <laughs> when the full revelation is made. It's just autopilot, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's it's a carnival of of horrors. It's the movie's just like throws its hands up in the air, and it's just like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. It's telling that the very last line in the film is. What, what the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> and the look on her face, and then you know the the clan of Zymox swelling music of yeah. "Cry in the Wind" kicks in. And I did really appreciate that they ended it not with I mean, because a, a typical slasher movie is going to end with you know somebody getting pulled through the door or the bad guy showing yeah, yeah. up and killing somebody, but she went sort of meta with it and yeah. said what the audience was thinking. Right? Yeah, it he was, just puts another mask on, you know, and back out into the world, right, as a fireman. Did you ever? Because I, I guess they did uh, have more backstory. Like, mm-hmm. they had more of a, yeah. an, an explanation of, like, what exactly was going on with him. Did yep. you ever look into that? Did you ever read it? I did. And also, there's... A, on did, the, you, did you do you accept it, or did you, like, decanonize it from your brain? Well, why don't you... Because I, I don't remember all those fundamentals. Why don't you walk me through a refreshment? Uh, basically, he the, the experiments... First of all, he was selected because they were worried that they were going to be some psychological effects. So they chose him because he was an incredibly empathic person. Right. Um, then the, the experiments themselves gave him the ability to control his adrenaline mm-hmm. as well as his pain receptors. So mm-hmm. he's able to jack up his adrenaline, reduce his pain when the need arose, but it also very negatively impacted his ability to empathize. And that's right. why he becomes 
cold and and strictly all about the mission and mm-hmm. you know he's still in touch with how to empathize but it's in a very analytical level like i love the moments in this movie where it takes a beat or two for him to decide how he's going to react mm. like when he's talking to the little brother and the little brother says like okay well you know i i my sister thinks that you're this murderer and he just like reveals all of anna's plan yeah and dan stevens takes two seconds where he's doing that cold face thing and we don't know how he's going to react is he about to kill this guy or right. what he eventually decides to do is he's like oh, okay well that's no problem little buddy and yeah. there's, there's actual tension in those yeah. seconds because we know that he can go one way or the other we've seen him yeah. at his game for for long enough that we know that one of these things is about to happen we're not sure which one but yeah i mean i i i don't know i I appreciated knowing that because it answered some of the questions that the movie seemed like it was about to tell yeah. me. Like when they, like it, I mentioned before, when they open up the scope at 40 minutes, they seem like they're going to answer some questions. And I just would either rather they didn't yeah. present them so blatantly or at least didn't present a framework for having them answered and then not doing it. I agree with you, actually. And actually, the way that you're presenting that other potential way to you know use exposition i think would have been ultimately preferable as a filmmaker myself i will always go for the show it rather than tell it and i think that there was definitely a way that they could do more of this show more of his resistance like the actual person inside um resisting the call to violence um it's at the point where he starts to relish it and gives over that's when it seems you know, in a lesser film, that would have been the jump the shark moment, right? This film manages to skate by with it, more or less. But there's there's still a sense when I'm watching the film that I could see the other movie that it could have been as well. And you don't really want to see that when you're watching a film. Like, you want it to be very confidently, this is the only way. I never felt that with the guests. Um, I've even seen, like, alternate, like, opening on the Blu-ray but what's chosen in the film is 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 better. It, why is it better? Because they pared down too much excess explaining. The, it, it starts at an earlier point than the um, than the the original cut that they were going to do. And um, but no, I agree with you. I would have liked to have seen more of the resistance, more of like, what's this guy going to do? Um, with less heavy-handed telegraphing as much as i love that shot of his dead eyes staring out into the cold (laughs) night it's so clear the filmmakers are like you know that where this is going right and no we're no we're good um i think we only really needed that face once yeah and just that shot that would have been enough um because it's like a sledgehammer right and it feels it feels good washing over you it's so absurd but um but yeah so no, I agree with what you said. Still love it. <laughs> um, I mean the the character of David, I really I felt was compelling. I was on board for it. Mm-hmm. I mean they did some stuff with it. To he walks away with this movie. Dan Stevens, like really in, in anyone else's hands, I can't imagine enjoying this film half as much. Right? He's clearly loving every second of the, doing that. Film. Yeah, and I mean it. Yeah, it's almost unnecessary because they do the the stone cold sitting on the bed thing. Yeah. But the other ways that they show you that something's a little bit off with him, I really enjoyed as well. Like the fact that he leaves the party yep. after sleeping with the host and doesn't even say goodbye to her. Yeah. Like it's that's something that they just leave off. Or and this one's a bit over the top, so I was on the fence about it. But that was the way I felt about a bunch of this. Um, it was the drink that he orders uh-huh. is, I mean, it's a, fi- it's supposed to be a fireball shot. They bring yeah. him like, <laughs> you know, like a, like four ounces of this yeah. shit. And it's, I mean, it's to, uh, 
Tabasco and cinnamon schnapps. Like yeah. it's the most caustic sounding drink I've yeah. ever heard. I can't imagine trying to drink that. That sounds horrible. No, God, no. I can't even drink Clamato juice, right? So I definitely <laughs> can't. You know, in the, the way he, uh, the way that the violence is cut in that scene, again, it's an early indicator. This is this is not you know uh, an A movie, it, but it's there's like that that firm tongue in cheek, right? Because just the way it's cut, he hits that guy with a pool cue, and then he quickly goes like. Whew, pans his, his head to the right and the camera kind of zooms in like a couple yeah. stops and just like a kung fu scene yeah i ex- i expected the act like the, it was this really neat hybrid the way that they did that that action sequence where mm-hmm. they were shooting it like it was going to be like insane over the top hyper violence yeah and it was slightly over the yeah. top no one but died. it was being presented as if it was going to be ridiculous no one died yeah yeah, like I was expecting like bones to start shooting out right. or something. Like yeah. I was expecting Blood roadhouse. Blood splatter yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And instead it was like a Walker, Texas Ranger bar fight. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. It pretty much was. Yeah. But Walker filmed Texas. like something insane. Yeah. Oh, the guest. I love talking about this film. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I also know it is totally r- ridiculous and preposterous. I don't know why it exists. I'm just glad that it does. All right, is there uh, is there more that you want to talk about, sir? Um, let's see. I mean, again, like the, the cinematic allusions to you know to other films are interesting. Without ever sort of succumbing to being a horror film, it's able to allude to Halloween as being a reference point, um, which is interesting in terms of like style, in sort of in terms of the way that it's shot and like the wide wide scope, you know, of Halloween. And because Halloween is a serious, like I look at Halloween as a serious film. I mean. You know, John Carpenter was like at the top of his game when he made that. And um, it's just interesting because it was so archetypical. You know, Halloween became sort of an archetype. And um, the guest is never going to to do that. I mean, the guest is, is, is purely pastiche. It's totally camp, you know, but it celebrates it. It celebrates being there. It's never looks like it feels guilty or like it's trying to be something more. It's just it's like it's like they had a conversation what if we made like our favorite kind of b movie but we just made it really really well like really slick like they were in the 70s like the late 70s early 80s where there it we still hadn't become so numbed by slashers that there was still an intention to make a good movie right so is is this for you like grindhouse for horror thrillers i think yeah there's a certainly you know there's a there's a grindhouse aspect for for sure. I mean, it's I would I would say yes, but um, yeah. I mean, the, again, I think it's in good hands. You know, I th- it's I think it's like I said, it's made really well. It's made with great care and and, and love. Um, it's not perfect. It's often cheesy, but it's not the bad kind of cheesy of, of oh, this movie is so bad, I have to laugh. It's just like I feel like they're laughing with us when those moments occur, because when it's serious. It is really serious. Like those sensitive moments you know, are important to remember. Like the mother, the, the subtlety of that scene where she excuses herself and cries by, disguised by the noise of the washing machine. Little things like that. Like she, she could have just gone somewhere and cried and it would have been more, you know, um, salacious maybe. But this was just like a nice vulnerable moment where she just didn't want to be heard crying it was her private reaction and i really liked that and that i think is so early on that it told me one way or another i feel like i'm in pretty good hands here more yeah or, more or less 
And that's, you know, so, I mean, it kind of suggests that she's so well-practiced yeah. at grief yes. that she has a method for hiding it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, excellent point. There's a lot of that in this film of, like, a character, you know, being by themselves and having a reaction to what happened, right? Micah Monroe has her bedroom to retreat to. Um, I'm glad we got that moment with the mother. Um, there's even, the, interestingly enough, when when David gets that phone call and he's out, he's outside the house and we only barely hear through the glass the conversation. So we can watch the movie without knowing what is said, but the filmmakers had left it just audible enough that on second viewing, you'll hear him talking about dental records, all the surgery stuff, but it's meant to not be perfectly heard. Mm-hmm. And again, because the, I really do feel like the per- perspective in the film is from the daughter. That's why the music, the soundtrack is her mix. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think I know the answers to these questions, but we'll we'll wrap this up the way that we always do. Can you tell me whether this movie gets a thumbs up or a thumbs down in your own Netflix profile yeah. as well? Can you choose an MVP for the movie? So either in front of or behind the camera. Yeah. I don't care, but definitely a thumbs up. Um, no question. No doubt. No guilt. Um, <laughs> no irony. No. Um, I don't want to break your formula, so I will only choose one MVP. No, go ahead. You do what you want. All right. I am a formula breaker. I do try to do that anyway. So uh, my, my it's a very low stakes rebellion. You're <laughs> right now. So my number one MVP is, is uh, it's course going to be Dan Stevens just because when he shows up on the porch, he owns the movie from that, from then henceforth, uh, Micah Monroe, very close, close second. I mean, she is her uh, scrutiny of him as the only person suspicious of him throughout the story. Everyone else falls under his spell. She's having none of that shit from the outset. Like, who is this guy? Well, not completely. I well, mean, no. she does have the the shower. She does, she, you know, but that's like she finds him to be very attractive, right? And she's sort of, but she still she still maintains that um, skepticism throughout. And she's the only one who investigates, like, which is preposterous that it took that long for her, to, for someone to investigate and that it wasn't the parents. It just, that just shows you how vulnerable they were, right? They just took him into their house. And um, so she saved, you know, she almost saved them. And, um, but then Adam Wingard, I just, I just like, I like the, the inspiring um, the way that this film was crafted and I can't remember the name of he wrote he didn't write it but his writing partner also played the guy who was keeping the son in detention that was the guy who wrote the film I'm trying to remember his name but the guy at the at the school at the school okay yeah, yeah. detention monitoring anyway there just was such a relish uh, clearly they made this film with it seems like reckless abandon really well really carefully but as if they might never get another chance and I kind of <laughs> sure. liked that I kind of liked that yeah um, for me, I'm saying thumbs down. Mm-hmm. I haven't been one over yet. Maybe I'll have to watch this one again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to take it away from, I mean, it's not like, it's not brutal by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Like I'm not actively against this movie. It just mm-hmm. didn't ring true for me. Mm-hmm. Like on my letterbox profile, it's got a two and a half yeah. because it's just below, like it, it, I really lose it in that third act. I was on board until yeah. that third act. And that's the same reason why, like, I would have said Dan Stevens, but Dan Stevens isn't my MVP because he he loses me at the same time the movie loses me. Yeah. Like, it's all wrapped up, and and it's unfortunate that movie making is linear in that way, yeah. right? That that you can hit a point where you're just 
where you're just coasting through the rest of the movie waiting for it to end yeah and that's that's what's in my brain at this point point. maybe rewatching it again i could be like okay let's watch the first two thirds of this movie and we'll right. have a great time yeah um so i'm gonna say micah monroe because mm-hmm. she keeps an even keel throughout yep. the whole thing I'm right there with you um yeah i thought she was she was terrific i can't remember if i chose her for it follows probably there wasn't really anyone else to pick no it was so close for me between dan stevens and her i mean she's the one like her character is the one i think about the most i guess but i don't know there's just something about the the relish that dan stevens chews up the scenery with it just sort of like again i can picture the movie working with someone else playing micah monroe's role not as well. I can't imagine someone else in the role now because of the way she handles it. But I can't really... Th- this movie could have so easily been just a terrible movie. Like, with the wrong person in the lead there. Like, this is a guy who's got serious acting chops. Like, that's the, all the evidence I need that they were, they were making it as if it were an A movie because of the choice. The choices of actor. Um, because B movies don't typically have, you know, great acting. Right. But the woman who played the mother, I mean, she was great. I mean, it's a movie at war with itself, right? But that war has interesting results. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure, always. Uh, can you tell people where to find you and what you're working on? Um, yep. Uh, you can find me at liminalarts.com, liminal-arts.com. And um, we're currently running my new film, Glass, through festivals. So, yeah, that's my, my biggest thing right now. It just has been going through getting this all finalized. We've just got our DCP prints made, which is huge, you know, excitement for me. I mean, it's the it's the way that when you go to see a movie in theaters that you see the movie. Um, so this is my first time ever doing that. That's for sure. That's my first feature film. All right, man. Well, I can't wait to see it. And, uh, it'll be amazing to see it come to fruition after hearing about it for how long? Have, I guess it's been almost two years that we've... Yeah, I mean, I, I started it in October 2012, but yeah. Oh, I mean that we've been doing yep. this, that I've been hearing about been it. Talking so. about it, and I really have appreciated your support throughout. <laughs> oh, no problem at all. Well, thanks again, man. I really appreciate this. My pleasure. I look forward to the next one. That's everything for this episode from the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of our content, like show notes, articles, and reviews. If you head over to this episode's notes, you're going to find all sorts of fun stuff, including a link off to the letterbox list that I mentioned of all the 2017 movies I've watched so far. You can also watch a trailer for Jason R. Gray's new feature film, Glass. As I mentioned earlier, I always appreciate somebody opening up the floodgates for links to old episodes. So, the ones that we talked about in today's review are a handful of Jason's previous appearances, like episode 36, where we talked about Upstream Color, episode 46, where we talked Under the Skin, and episode 55, where we talked about It Follows. Episode 62 with Tom Stewart was the one where we talked about Your Next, that's Adam Wingard's previous movie. Episode 66 was the one where we talked about Jaws with Jeremy Hobbs and Victor Laurentis, and episode 68 for the episode on Drive that Jason wishes he did, but instead I covered it with Caroline Deason and Adam Bose. I've also linked off to either Netflix or Amazon links for all the other movies and series that we talked about, like The Babysitter, Beauty and the Beast, Blair Witch, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Cult of Chucky, Death Note, The Double Life of Veronique, Downton Abbey, Drive, Halloween, It Follows, Jaws, Scream 4, Under the Skin, Upstream Color, The X-Files, and Your Next. 
You can find our podcast on all sorts of social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at Netflix Pod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore, and we're on Instagram and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can also find me on Letterboxd, the movie diary social platform, as Dylan Clark Moore. If you'd like to support our show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcast platform you prefer, and subscribing so that each new episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. Even more importantly, be sure to tell your friends about what we're doing here. If you want, you can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards or just to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge support over at patreon.com or by hitting the support Netflix button at the top of netflix.ca. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by yours truly, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast, and be sure to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.